Good evening. If you'll please open your Bibles up, we'll be in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19. We're going to talk tonight about some things that are unexpected. And uh, this was not originally what I had with the uh, lesson, but a couple of days ago I I read an article. Do you remember some time ago when the whole Chick-fil-A thing happened? You know what I mean by that? When everybody, there was some uh, backlash against Chick-fil-A and people were lined up everywhere. And I didn't, I didn't realize this until I read the story that the, uh, that the head of Chick-fil-A got in contact with the head of, of maybe GLAD or one of the organizations that was opposed to, to Chick-fil-A. And, and this is the gentleman on the, uh, on the other side, not the Chick-fil-A side, but the other side who, who's, who's giving this interview. And he said that they got in touch with each other. And this article was really interesting because he said, you know what? He was not the, uh, the, the bigoted, hateful person that I expected him to be. He was gracious and kind and, and we continued to be in communication. And I, and I told Heather, I said, isn't it interesting when people say, you know what? I met a Christian and they weren't horrible. Sometimes people don't know what to expect and and they follow maybe a stereotype or a caricature and when they actually get exposed to someone then they realize this is not what I expected sometimes those things can be very pleasant surprises when someone doesn't turn out to be who we thought they'd be or maybe there's a blessing that that we didn't expect Here, here in the book of Genesis sometimes unexpected blessings come from other people's bad decisions Amazingly enough, someone can make a bad call, bad decision, they commit a sin. There can actually be a blessing that comes out of that. In the book of Genesis, I like the story of Joseph. And his brothers are, are thinking of no good thing when they throw him into that well and, and they sell him off to, to slavery. And when they've come full circle and they come all the way around to Genesis chapter 50 and Joseph's father has died, verse 15 says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Well, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. There was the intention. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. There's the blessing. God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Nobody on that day, Joseph got thrown in that pit, said, hey guys, you want to save a bunch of lives? Nobody expected that. Nobody said, you know what? If we throw him in this pit and sell him to these slave traders, we will save a lot of lives. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So do not fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And I love the tenderness of Joseph. Instead of saying, well, I'll feed you, but your kids are toast. I'll feed you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Unexpected blessings. That was not the intention. Sometimes unexpected blessings come from right choices. Look in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 7. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, God appears to Solomon and he says, ask what I shall give you. Just ask. 
Second Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 8, Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled, for you've made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you've not asked possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I've made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. Solomon says, "I'll, I'll, I'll take the wisdom. Give me the wisdom. And God says, okay, have some of this too. And that's kind of the basis of the lesson tonight is as we look at some of the mission work that we're going to do this year, we have people planning to go to Chile and Guyana and India and, and possibly Ghana. We have members who've gone to Nigeria and France and Cameroon and Ukraine and other places. And even though foreign mission work is just a part of the work of the church here, it brings some interesting blessings with it. The main purpose of that foreign mission work is always to preach and teach the gospel. Always to preach and teach the good news about Jesus Christ. But there are some secondary blessings. There are some unexpected blessings that, that I wanted to talk to you about tonight that we can give praise to God for the way he blesses us, not just in primary ways, but in secondary ways. If you ever put on a pair of pants, stuck your, stuck your hand in the pocket and found some money, nobody dislikes that. Nobody says, aww, I found some money I didn't know I was going to get. It's a happy thing. People are usually excited. A lot of times I've gotten people who email me, hey, guess what? I found some money this morning. Say, Yay. <laughs> It's a, it's a rejoicing thing. We go and do mission work to spread the gospel to the world. But there's some pocket money we find along the way. One of those things is the joy of joint participation. I did not realize. You know, this is the 10th tenth, the tenth time I'm going to India being sent by this congregation. I did not realize the joy I would find in my pocket of joint participation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8... Speaking about the Macedonians in verse 3, it says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. I like that idea of the, the favor of taking part. Has anybody ever given you a, a hot stock tip? Have ever told you about a good business opportunity? They'll, you know, you got, you got to get in on the ground floor of this. This is good stuff. You, you know, you're going to make a good return on investment with this. I know an investment that has a guaranteed return that never declines in value. Sharing the gospel with others. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This blessing of, of joint participation of going along with the church. You know, it's amazing to me that, that we can gather in this building and we can pool our efforts or our energy, our funds, and we can go somewhere else in the world and do something meaningful. Not buy stocks, not buy property, not go buy real estate, but go and do something 
that never declines in value. I love thinking back over the years about some of those memories of joint participation. Some of the children who have sent pictures that they colored are, are graduated and married now. But when they were little kids, they would color pictures and send them over to other children in other parts of the world. Uh, when I go over there, there's a, I got a letter from one of the widows just a couple of weeks ago, and she said, I still have the dollar bill that one of the children at Lake Houston gave me. She said, I, I think of it as my love money. She said, I still carry it around with the note that came with it. I can't help but think about the, the prayers that have gone up from this congregation during some of the, the heartbreaking days and nights and the, and the times when you, know, you wondered if it was worth it, if, if it was worth going somewhere else to a foreign country and being away from your family and the prayers of the saints here and, and how much comfort there is as you lie awake at night and know that you're sharing in this participation. I've had the best time matching up the haves and the have-nots. Matching up teachers with teachers and parents with parents, parents and seamstresses with seamstresses and widows with widows and diabetics with diabetics. There, there's so much joy in, in taking like-minded souls and carrying those, those blessings, those prayers, those, those letters, those well wishes. Building bridges that don't go from land to land, but bridges that go from heart to heart. I love that people in Nigeria and and Ghana and, and Guyana and Chile and India believe that this church loves them. I love that. Because that's what we should be exporting. It's not just money or financial gifts. We should be expressing our love to the saints by helping them. That favor of, of taking part. You know that there's incredible joy in being on a mission trip and not saying, never having to say, this is from me. There's a lot of joy in saying, this is from the church, this is from a couple, this is from a family, this is from a little girl, this is from this person, and being able to say, these Christians at home love you. And one day I hope they get to meet you. One of the unexpected blessings that, that I, I've, I've seen over the years is the, the universality of the gospel. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Those outside the church look inside and they think that we have a, a Western God. In fact, I was reading a book this week and, and, and I pulled out a quote from it that really caught my attention. It was someone talking about uh, introverts and extroverts and, and, and the author wrote this. Talking about how the West is, is much more outgoing and, and much more talkative and much more aggressive. She wrote this. Even the Western God is assertive. By the way, did you, did you know we had a Western God? Even the Western God is assertive, vocal, and dominant. His son Jesus is kind and tender, but also a charismatic, crowd-pleasing man of influence. Number one, I don't know who this Western God and his Western son are, but I don't find them in my Bible. I found, find some people who would much more accurately be described as probably Middle Eastern. And it's one of those crazy things when you go to a foreign country and you try to convince them that Jesus is not a white American. And they say, oh yes he is, and they point at the picture. And to try to teach them that, that we're not bringing the gospel to that part of the world, we're actually bringing it back. It's been there before. You know, I, I wondered where she got this concept of, of a Western God and his, his crowd-pleasing son. Boy, if there's a word that I would think doesn't describe Jesus, it would be crowd-pleasing. 
<laughs> crowd convicting, maybe, but crowd pleasing, no. And then you know how an author will sometimes put a little quote at the end of a, of a reference? In quotes was, Jesus Christ, superstar. Oh. Look for him in here. Look for him in here. You know, and the reason I brought that up is this idea that it's a real joy. And I didn't expect this blessing, but it's a real joy that I can take my sermons from here and I can go preach them over there. And I have to make some changes. You know, I've told you before, you have to be careful with Americanisms. You have to be careful with cultural things. My very first trip over to India, I, I was talking about how the apostles weren't doing their work when Jesus was gone. They were, they were locked up. And I, I used that phrase. I said, you know how they say, when the cat's away, the mice will play? And, and the translator translated that, I thought. And I got these very confused looks. And I don't know if you remember me saying, I said, what did you say? They said, well, we don't have that phrase in our language. So I, I said the nearest, closest thing, uh, the, the closest possible thing, when the cat is old, the mice will play on him. <laughs> so not, not exactly what we were trying to get across, but, but I've learned over the years, don't talk about American things. If you say something like, do, do you know how it is when you're driving to church? Or when you're going upstairs in your house, you, you, you have to change and, and use a lot of illustrations about things like goats and, and water and pots and pans and, and, and digging. And you, you look for things that are common to them. And so you have to change illustrations and you have to change your rhythm because when you have a translator, you gotta, you've got to take turns. And so you have to learn to speak in a, in a different rhythm. So you change your words, your illustrations, and you change your rhythms. But you know what you don't change? You don't change the gospel. I love that. I love that I don't have to go, okay, don't forget, Kevin, Indian gospel, Indian gospel. Kevin, don't forget, don't forget, you're, you're speaking to Indians, so you need to talk about an Eastern God and his Eastern son. You need, to, you need to talk about an Eastern plan of salvation. You need to talk about an Indian salvation. You need to... If I strip all the illustrations that pertain to Americans and re-preach that same sermon, it's the same thing. They get it. No matter whether it's Nigeria, Chile, whether it's Africa, Asia, doesn't matter where it is. The gospel was given once for all. And I love that unexpected blessing. It's, it's so neat every year to realize the gospel's the gospel and the way a man is saved here is the way a man is saved there. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, I've loved this unexpected blessing of watching other people grow. I'm watching other people grow. When, when I go every Sunday, when I get up and I think about who's preaching that morning, who's teaching class, who's filling in. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 and said, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, there are already people getting ready to preach and teach while I'm gone. There are people who are filling in. There are people who are studying. And, and it's not just those who will grow, uh, but also for the people who will love them and encourage them, those who live with them while they prepare, those who, who, who encourage them after they've spoken and after they've taught, and they, you deal with some of the insecurities of getting up and speaking. And the church grows when members grow. Do you know, one of the things I've always appreciated about the elders here is that their approach to growth is not have the preacher teach everything. In fact, sometimes when I first got here, I had to get used to it because sometimes it feels like, okay, Kevin, you're done. Move aside. It's someone else's turn. But I've come to appreciate that. I've come to appreciate their purpose behind that, that everybody needs to grow, that other men need to grow, that we don't want one person to grow. We want many teachers to grow. 
so that the whole church grows. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which with, it, which, with which it is equipped. When each part's working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The unexpected blessing of watching people grow when you're gone. Finally, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 16. I think this has been the most difficult of the unexpected blessings for me. And that's the trust required for the unknown. I, I'm not an unknown kind of guy. I'm the guy that if I, if I have a really important meeting the next day, I will pre-drive the route. So that I know where I'm going, I'll check out the room, I'll make sure I know where the room number is. You know, they, they call it sometimes a flyby. You know, you'll, you'll go by and I, I want to know where I'm going and what I'm doing. And some of that is grown out of making too many mistakes and getting lost and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But when you face the unknown in service to God, that trust is required. And after, after 10 years of going to India with you, do you know what I know? What I know is that I'm pretty sure I don't know. I don't know. And you know, people will ask me sometimes, are, are, are you excited? Are you worried? Are you, are you, are, what are you thinking about? What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. Some years it's there and the, you know, someone's in prison or someone has died or someone is born or someone is here or there or someone is baptized, someone has left the church. I don't know. But you know what's interesting over the years? The blessing is that what used to make me nervous now makes me excited. Because God does amazing things. Things that we don't plan on. Things that we don't know ahead of time. And, and the book of Proverbs, because of that is one of my favorite chapters in Proverbs. Because it talks about how God knows what we don't. Verse 1 says, the plans of the heart belong to man. We make plans. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We make the plans, the Lord has the answers. Verse 9 says, the heart of man plans his way. We've got plans, we've got plane tickets, we've got uh, hotel arrangements. But the Bible says, but the Lord establishes his steps. Verse 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. There is no randomness in Christ. There is no, you know, good luck. There is no luck in Christ. And how do you deal with that unknown? And I found it's in the same chapter. You don't have to leave chapter, Proverbs chapter 16. It's in the same chapter. It's in verse 3. How do you face uncertainty in serving the Lord? Verse 3 has the answer. Commit your work to the Lord. And your plans will be established. Give it to God. Let God direct your steps. Let God give the answer. I know a lot of you have mentioned this verse in Isaiah chapter 55. It's a, a favorite of a lot of people. Isaiah chapter 55, we don't have to worry about how people will receive the word of God. We don't have to worry about how people will respond to the gospel. We don't have to worry about any of those things. And the Bible has this beautiful verse in Isaiah 55 and verse 10. God compares his word to the, to the rain coming down and to the seed being sown. And he says in verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, 
but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What do we have to do to make sure that all of our mission efforts this year succeed? We need to make sure it's the word of God. It's the word of God, that's it. If it's the word, if it's the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what country or where we go or how many flat tires or broken glass or, or illnesses or sicknesses or any of those things y'all have been through who have gone, if the word of God is taken, God will succeed. We only have to be faithful. You know, the greatest part of becoming a Christian is hands down eternal life. We all know that. It's the greatest part of being a Christian. But I want to ask you tonight, is that it? Is that all that you've benefited from being a Christian? Just that at the day of judgment you'll be saved? Is that all you have from being a Christian? It's enough, isn't it? That's enough. But we don't serve a God who drips out blessings. We serve a God who pours them out. And when you become a Christian, you have all of these unexpected blessings of family and home and growing together and sharpening one another as iron sharpens iron and loving each other and hurting each other and forgiving each other and loving each other all over again. All of these growth opportunities, all these family opportunities, all these friends and family members in the body of Christ that you didn't even know that you needed. But you can't imagine being without. We serve a God of unexpected blessings. And should we be surprised? God says, trust me. And I'll take care of you. I'll bless you. I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful. I tell you, and I don't get tired of telling you, that you're a great sending congregation. And before I even leave, I'm already excited to come back and tell you about these unexpected things that we did as a church. If you're not a Christian, and I would love for you to be part of the body of Christ. And I, I think about the longing and I think, why, why would you not want to be part of a family? Why would you not want to be part of, of God's people? And I think it's not a matter of me wanting you to be part of the church or these people being, wanting you to be part of the church, but that God wants you as a child. He wants to adopt you. He wants to choose you. But he won't force you. You're not an animal. You're not a pet. You're not someone he puts a collar on. You're someone he calls to through the gospel. That you might believe in him. That you might believe that he sent his son to die for your sins. That you might believe him when he tells you that you need to turn away from your sin and repentance. That you might believe his son when he, said he, when he says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That we could wash away our sins. He wants you in the family. He wants you to be part of his blessings. If you're on the outside looking in, why not come into the fold? If you need to respond tonight, we ask you to come while we stand and sing.